Good evening, everybody. You can take a seat. John chapter 5 here. We left off last week at uh, verse 23. Lord willing, time willing, we'd like to get through at least verse 30. And actually, verses 31 through 47 go pretty quickly, so we may try to finish up the rest of John chapter 5. If you weren't with us last week, a quick little review of how we got to this place. If you remember correctly, at the beginning of John chapter 5, Jesus healed on the Sabbath. And the Jewish group, when it says the Jews, it usually is carrying the idea of the hierarchy of the Jews were quite upset about this. They were quite bothered about this, so they come and start making accusations against him. And verse 16 of John 5 sought to kill him. Because he had done these things on the Sabbath. They cared nothing about the uh, man that was healed. What they cared about was these supposedly Sabbath rules that were broken by Christ. But Jesus, in verse 17, says, But Jesus answered them. And that word answered is a really interesting word. It's not Jesus said, it's Jesus answered. It almost gives the idea of presenting a defense. Not that Jesus was defending himself, but they were making accusations against him. And he is presenting his defense of who he is and why he is able to heal on the Sabbath. And it goes on to this long discourse. If you have a Bible of the words in Christ in red, you can see in verse 19 all the way through 47 is one long discourse of Jesus that ends with this concept of who he is and that he is God. These are very fundamental verses to understand who Christ is. And we're taking our time going through this because if we can understand who Christ is, it changes how we live in this world today. We go out there and we claim Jesus as our Lord and Savior. What does that mean that he is God? And that is what we're getting into. So we did verses really 16 through 23 last week. You know, leaving off there in 23, the idea of honoring the Son. Just as they honor the Father, he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father that sent him. You can't have God the Father without a relationship with Jesus. Many, many false cults try to present this idea of God, but without having Christ the Son. You can't have a relationship with God the Father without going through Jesus. That is what is so vitally important here, and that's what we're seeing. You know, John, who also wrote 1 John, he says in 1 John 2.23, Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. If you do not acknowledge the Son, if you do not claim Christ, you cannot have a relationship with God the Father. And every now and then you'll run into somebody who kind of presents this idea that they're really not big into Christianity, they're really not big into who Jesus is, but they believe in God and they think they're okay. It is theologically and biblically impossible to have any relationship with the creator of the universe, God, without having a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. It is not possible. And Christ is trying to make this point here. He is telling the Jews at this time, if you do not honor me, how can you claim to have a relationship with Jehovah? Because I am his son. And by claiming to be his son, he's claiming equality with God. And to make that clear, rewind to verse 18. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. That is what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with breaking the Sabbath. We're dealing with claims of deity. There is no question when reading through the Gospels that the Jews claimed and understood that Jesus claimed to be God. It seems like we're the only ones that are still debating whether Jesus was God. The Jews never debated that. They crucified him for that fact. So now we get into the second part of this discourse, verse 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not 
coming to judgment is passed from death into life. Most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted His Son to have life in Himself, and has given Him authority to execute judgment also, because He is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear His voice, and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own, but the will of the Father who sent me. Most assuredly, some of your translations, verily, verily, some of yours says, I tell you the truth. It is a solemn assumption of truth. It is emphasized. It literally is, amen, amen. And when you see in that idea of the Greek, the words repeated, it is carrying an emphasis to it. The word amen, when you say it at the end of a prayer, it means truth. It means so be it. It carries the idea of certainness, steadfastness. So when Jesus is saying, most assuredly, or the good old verily, verily, He is saying, I solemnly is telling you the truth, and you can be certain of the words that I'm saying. What is He so certain about in verse 24? That He can give life. And we just sang the song a little bit ago, my life is in you. He can give life. This word life, used 32 times in the book of John. And to understand the emphasis of that, in the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it is only used 17 times in the other three Gospels. But it's used 32 times here in the book of John. In fact, in this little section that we're talking about tonight, it is used six times in this section alone. This is the bookends of what John is all about. John 1, verse 4. In Him, meaning Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. At the beginning of the book, in Him was life. And the life was the light of men. At the end of the book, John 20, 31, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. So the purpose of the book of John is for you to understand and grasp that you can have life in Christ. It is the bookends of the book, and that is what the book is about. Christ is life. And there's so many verses about Jesus being life in John. It's actually hard to pick the ones to share. I just picked a couple. John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I want us to stop and really try to think about this. What does it mean that Christ is life? And what does it mean that he is the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father except through me? You have to understand. We're we're back John 3 now. You have to be born again to be saved. That means somebody who is not saved is a walking dead person. Now, we don't think like that. When you go into a large group of people, I remember one time being at a Braves game down in Atlanta, and it was like 40,000 plus people. And I just had this brief moment of 40,000 plus people. How many are born again? You know, if the rapture would happen right now, would it even be noticed in some ways? And when you stop and you think about that, 40,000 plus people, you're thinking, how many of them are walking dead people? And they don't even realize they're dead. One of the best analogies I've ever heard of the walking dead people is the idea of fall leaves. That they are constantly blowing and constantly moving all over. They are full of activity, but they're dead. A, A leaf that's actually alive sticks to the tree. But a leaf that is dead is full of much more activity and motion. And to try to go up to somebody who's not saved and try to explain to them, do you realize that you're dead? 
Well, how could I be dead? I have an active life. I have kids. I have a job. I have a marriage. I have a retirement. I have all this fun. I have all these things I'm doing. I'm even active in church. How could you possibly think I'm dead? It goes back to what Jesus wrote to the churches in Revelation, where he wrote to the one church and he says, I know your works. I know your activity. You think you're alive, but you're really dead. Here's the thing about the dead people. They don't understand that they're really dead. So Christ is trying to come in and say that you need to have life. And that word life is such a deep, deep word. And the only way you can grasp what that word means is when you are born again and saved. To stop and fully grasp, I understand now what it means that I have life. And the way that I got life is that I had to die. Colossians 3.3 For you died... And your life is hidden with Christ and God. So for me to have life, I have to die. And I had to realize that I was dead before I had life. Yeah, it's one of those Bible paradoxes that really makes sense, but yet it sounds really strange. What did Jesus say? To find your life, you must lose it. He's trying to give us life. It goes back to what we talked about last week in verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even also the Son gives life to whom He will. Christ is life. Christ gives life. Now think about this. Jesus is equating Himself with God because only God can give life. A man can't say that. Can you imagine just somebody coming up to you at Walmart and saying, I can give you life? You would think they're crazy. Jesus is saying, I can give you life. Not even give you life. He wants to remind us, I also have the power to judge you, verse 22, for the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. And that just to make this point abundantly clear, verse 24, he says he can judge us. Verse 27 says he can judge us. And verse 30 says he can judge us. So he also looks at us and says, I can give you life, but if you choose to reject this life, I also have the right to judge you. Now once again, imagine a man coming up to you and telling you, I can give you life, and if you choose to reject my life, I will eternally judge you. Jesus is truly, it is hearing the voice of God that we respond to in faith and believe that leads to salvation. It is not and cannot be anything else than that. It cannot be any baptism. It cannot be any catechism. It cannot be any confirmation. It cannot be any good works. It's not that those things are bad, but those things cannot give you assurance of salvation, and those things cannot in any way whatsoever give you salvation. It is hearing the voice of the Son of God that makes you live. I'm always concerned when I talk to somebody, and I ask them, are you a Christian? Yes. When did you get saved? Well, I was, I was baptized as a, as a baby, then I got confirmed. Well, go a little deeper. When did you get saved? They can't move past the actions that they did. I have to stop and wonder at that time, did they ever hear the voice of the Son of God and live? Because that's what Jesus is trying to say right here. The voice brings life. And the life comes from Him. 26, for as the Father has life in Himself, He has also granted the Son to have life in Himself. The Son has life. Go back to our introduction there. The Son has life. John 1 verse 4, that in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. This is the beginning of the book. 
He has had life before existence. It'd be easy to read in that verse 26, it almost sounds like when Jesus became this man, that God the Father granted him the ability of life. But no, that doesn't line up with the rest of Scriptures, because John 1.4 says that he has life. He was granted life, in the sense of that his office of being the Savior, being the mediator of the world, he has the ability to give life. It says in 1 John 5.11, this is the testimony that God has given eternal life to us, And this life is in His Son. So, how does God grant Jesus life? Because Jesus is the one that grants life. And by Jesus granting us life, it's really God the Father granting us life. Because they are so unified in purpose and unity, it's one and the same. And He is the authority to do that, verse 27. And has given Him authority to execute judgment, also because He is the Son of Man. I just want to encourage you, as you're reading through the Bible, look for repetition of words... For example, like tonight, life. But look for things that sound really the same but different. Did you catch in 25, Jesus called himself the Son of God. But then in verse 27, he calls himself the Son of Man. There's Because there's different ideas behind those. Calling yourself the Son of God is claiming deity. That's why they wanted to stone him. Calling yourself the Son of Man is claiming authority. Now, how do we know he's claiming authority by calling himself the Son of Man? I'm glad you asked. Go with me to Daniel 7, please. That phrase, Son of Man, would be something that would get the Jews' attention. Because that phrase is an important phrase from the Old Testament that carries the idea of authority. Jesus knows this and grasps this. That's why he says, I have the authority as the Son of Man. Daniel 7, please. Daniel 7, let's start in 13. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man. See, there's the connection. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. See, authority. That all people's nations and languages should serve him. Authority. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. Authority. Which shall not pass away in his kingdom to the one which shall not be destroyed. Son of God. He's claiming deity. I am God. I have power. Son of man. I am claiming authority. And that's why those words carry different meaning here in John chapter 5. And that's why it's important to understand the difference in the terms of them in this context right here. He is the Son of God, which means He is deity, that He has the power of life. But now He's also the Son of Man, which means He has authority. And with that authority, He can judge and give life. That's what He's saying in 27, which now takes us to 28. Do not marvel at this. That's why He says, do not marvel at this. Because why? Because if you were a... a, turn of the turn of the century, millennia, Jew back then, and you just heard this guy claim Son of God, Son of Man, you would be marveling at this. You would, you would not know what to say. That's why he says, do not marvel at this. Because they're going to hear my voice, 28, and I'm the one, 29, with the authority of God that's going to bring everybody into the final resurrection. Remember what it says in Philippians 2.10, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So there is a resurrection of life and there's a resurrection of condemnation. And then verse 30, I can of myself do nothing. It does not mean that he is powerless. It means that him and God the Father are so united in purpose and will that they would never do nothing on their own. 
as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. He is so in line with God the Father. That's why God the Father says he has the authority of judgment. He has the authority of life because he is God and he has the authority to do it. And that is why Jesus Christ is life. That is why when we go out and share the gospel, we must get past the point of, I hope you believe in God. You need to understand who Jesus is because he is the one that gives life and he is the one that has the authority of the resurrection of life or death. And Jesus is claiming a whole lot here in these very simple seven verses. And it's a powerful, powerful thing that we need to chew on. Let's pause. Catch your breath here for a second. Anybody got any quick questions, comments about anything here before we go on? Ryan. We are not, you're right, we're not floating spirits. There is a brand new glorified body without worry, fear, anxiety, physical pain in any way whatsoever. And it's something that I think we can't even grasp. I mean, Jesus, after the resurrection, he came out and even said to the disciples, do you have food? Let's eat. (laughs) You know, proving that he was fully flesh in that sense. And we get to be like Christ is. And so there's going to be a body that we're going to have that... You know, the Bible tries to explain it in Corinthians. It starts talking about celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, etc. But basically, John comes out in 1 John and says, we do not know what it will be like, but we just know we'll be like him. It's hard for us to grasp what this eternal glorified body is going to be like. It's going to be very difficult for us to grasp because everything we think of now is based on flesh. And to have something not based on that is amazing. John. Well, he said, do not touch me because I, I, I'm not yet ascended to my father. Yeah. And I think the context of that was, um, I understand what you're saying there too, but I think the context of that was, it sounds like, it's kind of a difficult passage to grasp, it sounds like Mary found him and she wasn't going to let go of him. <laughs> and it reminds me a little bit like when, when my girls grab onto mom's leg. Like, okay, you've got to separate now. You know, because Mary, I have to yet still ascend to my, my father in heaven there. Anybody else got anything here before we go on? Well, let's just do 31 through 47, and we're going to do this quickly. And when I say quickly, I do mean quickly. I'm not just saying that, because I know sometimes I don't move quickly. So, but to get the full context of 31 through 47, this is one of those we have to pick up the pace a little bit and not break it down so much. Because what Jesus is going to do here, and I'll give you the overview first, and then you'll see it's really easy to follow as we do this. He's going to stop and say, to prove my point, that I am God, Messiah, all these above. He goes, I have four things as my witness. Remember, back to that phrase, Jesus answered. It almost carries the idea of a a defense. And the first one he says is this. He goes, my first witness is John the Baptist. And you'll see that in verses uh, 31 through 35, John the Baptist. My second witness is the works I do. That's verse 36. My third witness is the Father himself, verse 37. And then my last witness is verses 38 through 39 are the scriptures themselves. This is known as the fourfold witness. So his first witness, 31, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Just think about that for a second. I come to you. 
I want to let you know I'm God. And I have your power, your life is in my hands. I have the power of your life and your death and your resurrection. I think the first thing I would say is, please prove that. Oh, no, you just got to trust me. No. So Jesus says, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. First witness, John the Baptist, 32. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. Now stop right there. See, this is interesting. Jesus is saying in verse 34, I'm not calling a man as a witness. Because that doesn't mean anything. I'm calling John the Baptist. Well, John the Baptist was a man. Yeah, but he's not just a man. He was a God-sent light. He was a God-sent messenger. Beginning of the book of Luke, he had a miraculous birth. He was prophesied back in the end of Malachi. This is not just a man. It is a God-sent light, a God-sent messenger. Verse 35, he was the burning and shining lamp and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. He was a lamp. A lamp that was shining people towards Christ. You know, in Psalm 132.17, it sure sounds like it's talking about John here a little bit. There I will make the horn of David grow. I will prepare a lamp for my anointed. What an interesting verse. I will prepare a lamp for my anointed. And what is John called right here in verse 35? A shining lamp. So he was the lamp that was shining and pointing people towards Christ. So his first witness is the God-sent messenger, the God-sent light of John the Baptist. Next witness, 36. But I have greater witnesses than John's. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Remember when John the Baptist was in prison? And he sent his messengers to Jesus and said, Are you the Messiah or should we look for another? Jesus' response to John was, Go tell John. The dead are raised. The blind can see. The deaf can hear. The lepers are healed. That's my witness. Only the Messiah could do these things. I can't even imagine what a day with Jesus would have been like. Just moving past being with Jesus. Just watching again and again lepers being healed. Demons being cast out. Blind people receiving sight. Deaf being able to hear. And even on occasion, the dead being raised. 36, my works. Second witness. Next witness, the Father himself. And the Father himself, 37, who sent me, has testified to me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. But you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent, him you do not believe. The, the Father himself Jesus is saying, God the Father is claiming me. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. I've done many baptisms. And the skies have never opened and the voice of God spoken over somebody. Father testifies in me. And then lastly, the Scriptures testify in me. 39. You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. The scriptures testify of me. You know, it's really interesting. In Jesus, on the road to Emmaus with the two disciples after he was resurrected, when he explained what was going on to them out of Luke 24, it says this, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He started with Moses and the prophets and explained who he was. I'm reading through Leviticus right now in the morning, and as I'm going through the sacrifices, I love looking for Jesus and the burn offerings and the sin offerings and the trespass offerings. They're just amazing pictures of Christ. He says, The scriptures testify of me. 
Jump ahead, if you will, real quick to 46. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. He wrote about me. For those that find Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, those are known as the book of Moses. Jesus is saying, those are all about me. It changes Leviticus. It changes Deuteronomy. It changes Numbers. Because as you're reading through those books, you stop and you say, where are you, Jesus, in this? That's an amazing thing. 40, but here's the the problem. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I mean, isn't that what it comes down to? I was sharing the Lord, sharing Christ with somebody a while ago, and I believe the gospel was presented clearly. I believe they heard it clearly, and they rejected it clearly. In verse 40, you are not willing to come to him that you may have life. I mean, it's really what it comes down to. I used to kick myself so much. I'd get done talking to someone. It's like, oh, I didn't say it clear enough. I didn't explain it clear enough. I didn't quote enough verses. I didn't do it enough. The reality is, they're not willing to come. Some people just don't want to be saved. And, and you can't do anything about that. This is why the Bible says God chooses God speaks to their heart. I'm just the messenger to present it. That, that's all I am. That's, that's what it means to, to have evangelism. It's the idea of two words there, of a messenger presenting good news. That, that's what it is. I'm gonna, we're evangelists. We're messengers presenting good news. Not everybody wants to hear the message. And even as I say that, we make it sound just so, well, they didn't want to hear it. It's like saying, yeah, they just wanted to jump in front of the semi. 41. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. I've come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receive honor from one another do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? How how much do we spend of that, 44? How often are we honoring each other? Oh, we love to honor each other. We love to have award shows as human beings and place honor on each other. We can get an award. I shouldn't say we. Maybe it doesn't affect you. But, but as a human, I can get an award from something and I just, that's, I was awarded something by another human being. Think that through. I was awarded something by another human being. And Jesus is saying in 44, don't you want the honor that comes from the only God? This is something the Lord's really been working on my heart with. Is my identity cannot be in my marriage, in my kids, and in being a pastor in Harvest Fellowship. My identity has to be in Christ and Christ alone. And I have to fear God more than I fear man in any way whatsoever. And, and who I am as a person cannot be based on anything in this world. It cannot be based on what my wife thinks of me. It cannot be based on what my kids think of me. It cannot be based on how empty or full the church is or how good the message goes. or how It cannot. My, my only emphasis has to be well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy and rest of the Lord. The honor that comes from the only God. That's all that can drive me. 45. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. See, now you see the connection. How is Moses going to accuse them? For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But if you did not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? What a point to end on to these Jews to say, you're not willing to accept the witness of John. 
You're not willing to accept the witness of my works. You're not willing to accept the witness of the Father. You're not willing to accept the witness of the Scriptures. You are choosing. You are choosing death. The sad part is that still happens today. I hope that this message here has confirmed and solidified who Jesus Christ is to you from a theological standpoint, from a scriptural standpoint. I hope this message then says, if He is the only life, then my purpose in life is to go show that life to the dead. And if we can reach that point of when we're walking in public and talking to people, to stop and say, they're dead. And they don't even know it. I need to give them life through Christ. And start realizing that's really all that matters. Let's pray. Lord, as we just come to you now, let us, let us truly grasp this, that you are life. You are life. And let us go give that life, present that life to everybody we run into. I just think of Colossians, I was dead, but in Christ I have life. Let me go spread that good news. Let us have that passion in your name. Amen. Um, before we get into announcements here, any final questions, comments about anything here? Ryan. It could be, yeah. People come in, people come in their own name. They're, they're doing their own um, resume. They're doing their own accolades. And they're willing to receive that human being and honor him. But you will not receive me. Yeah. I think anybody that comes and presents that. Paul gets into this a little bit in Corinthians. It's, it's really interesting because it, it, it translates over to almost the term is super apostle. It almost imagines like a guy with a cape. But you know what I mean? And the problem was these super apostles in Corinthians, only thing they did was talk about how great of an apostle they were supposedly. And Paul says, you receive these guys, you love these guys, but here I am, the real deal, and I'm just humbly trying to present to you Jesus. And you reject me. Same thing happens today. Christianity has a lot of, of super pastors. And they got the ministry and the music and they got the charm and the charisma. And you, I see their videos and it's like, wow. But yet, do they have Christ? I hope they do. So, anybody else have anything before we close up? All right. In way of announcements. Uh, hey, we're, we're doing a baptism coming up. I think I don't have my calendar. Or I do have my calendar. I don't know if it's finalized yet, but I think we're looking at maybe the first week in May. I got to finalize with the people. So if you are still interested in getting baptized, let me know. Um, it's pretty cool. We got a few more people that want to get baptized and we're looking forward to that. I think we're looking at maybe the first Sunday in May, but I will confirm that and let you know. Let me know. Also looking for somebody if they feel led to uh, help with the mowing ministry out here at church. If you're interested in helping with that mowing ministry, see Jason or Scott back there. We're also hoping to start up fellowship meals here, uh, hopefully in the month of May even. And we're going to kind of do it a little bit more flexible depending on how the weather looks, etc. And speaking of weather, with the winter weather upon us, we'll get the winter weather cancellation list back out there so you can get signed up for that. Um, there also is a ministry opportunity as well. Friday to Sunday, this coming Friday to Sunday, there is a group of ladies heading to a ladies retreat that will be a real blessing. Amber is leading that up. But they are in need of a vehicle. 
to travel to get people to and from. If you have a vehicle that they could borrow from Friday to Sunday, Amber's right back there. Amber will raise her hand. She's wearing the righteousness of white, and you can there talk to her Friday to Sunday. If you have a vehicle that she could borrow uh, to let some of the ladies get there to and from, they'd be much appreciated to talk to her about that. And also keep in prayer, leaving Friday, getting back Sunday. Where's it at, Amber? Where's up in Michigan, you said? By Kalamazoo. Keep, how many ladies are going? 18. So keep those 18 ladies in prayer. You guys know exactly what will happen. The enemy will attack. Attack the families. They'll attack health. They'll attack job situations. They'll do whatever you can. So we need to pray against that. So from this Friday to this coming Sunday, what a blessing that will be. And actually, um, let's, let's pray for that. Um, Amber, do you got your baby with you? Okay, I was going to say, you could come up here and we could pray with you. We'll pray from a distance. Does that count? Oh, you want, oh, yeah, come up. Why don't you come up? Let's pray over with you guys doing that. No, I'm just choosing you as the representation of 18 women. You don't want to be up here by yourself? You're on camera now, too. Hey. Let's pray. Lord, for these gals that are going, uh, I just want to pray, uh, first off, physical safety, traveling to and from. Lord, I want to pray for spiritually, hearts are being prepared as we speak now. That whoever is teaching at this getaway, that they will have the Holy Spirit leading them and guiding them and having these messages prepared for these ladies to hear. Let these ladies go with open ears to hear what the Spirit says, to go with an open heart to receive this. Let this be a time of connection and growing, going deeper in you. And when they come back, let their families be blessed. Let their marriages be blessed. Let their lives be blessed for the glory of you. You are good and do good. And we ask for your hand to be upon this. And Lord, just raise up your Jehovah Jireh, the God that provides. Raise up a vehicle to help them in your name. Amen. Thank you very much. All right, hey, uh, 8 o'clock. Have a good evening. God bless. We'll see you online or face-to-face next week, and we'll catch you then. Take care.